Father God, we come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, and we thank you that you sent your son to pay the price on the cross, Lord, so that, so that we could have hope, so that we could have love, so that we could have grace, so that we could have forgiveness, Lord. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, Lord, and we would be nothing without it this morning. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would meet us in this place. And Lord, that we wouldn't leave this church the same way that we came in. Lord, that we would be a people who were on fire for you, who were ready to serve you, who were ready to love people in your name and to show your love to people, Father. And and we pray that you would reveal to us this morning how we can do that most effectively, Lord, and what you've called us to do in this life. And Lord, we ask that you would put people in our path, Lord, that we can help, that we can love, that we can, that we can care for the same way that you have loved and cared for us. And Father, we give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who brought their paper Bible this morning? Anybody? Okay, good. We're going to be in, uh, in Mark chapter 5, verse 24 through 34. And if you're unfamiliar with this passage of scripture, Jesus has just begun his ministry and he's started to do some really crazy things, um, starting healing people and, and, and all of the villages and towns around are starting to hear of all the miraculous things that he's done. And, and uh, we find Jesus uh, here and, and apparently a, um, the leader of the local synagogue's daughter had gotten sick, and he came and asked Jesus uh, to come and, and heal his daughter. And while he was on the way, there were crowds of people that started, that started following him and, and pushing up against them as he was just trying to make it to the place that he was supposed to go. And, and that's kind of where we are here in this, in this scripture. But it says in verse 24, Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay for them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten much worse. She had heard about Jesus, and so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, and she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel her body had been healed of this terrible condition. And Jesus realizes at once that healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And I find this this scripture really interesting because if you think about the ministry of Jesus and all of the miraculous things that he did, This interaction was recorded in three Gospels. But think about how how brief this this interaction would have been. The disciples wouldn't have even known that this interaction happened had Jesus not stopped and said, who just touched me? And yet, 
this passage was still recorded in three Gospels. So there has to be some kind of major significance that took place for this to be written by three different authors, right? And I think to find how significant this really was, I think we have to figure out who this woman was. And all the Bible says about her is that she had had constant bleeding for, for 12 years. And, and there's no easy way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. The, the scholars suggested that the constant bleeding that she had was if she had been on her period for 12 years straight without a stop. And I know there's a lot of ladies in the room that can probably relate to that this morning. But if you're a dude and you can't, right, have you ever been diagnosed with a medical condition and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with you? And you searched and searched for answers and nobody knew what was happening, right? It's the same thing except for this woman was going through excruciating pain and it lasted for 12 years. Most of the time, you know, if we have something wrong with us, we may go through a a period of time, you know, a few months or maybe a year or maybe a little more where, where we're really fighting a major medical diagnosis, but she had basically been in this season of her life for 12 years with zero answers. And the thing is, is that her, her problem wasn't just physical, but her problem was also a cultural problem. Because back then, um, bleeding or an active wound would actually keep you from being able to go into the synagogue and worship. That means that she, was, that she was completely cast out of her church. Not only could she not come in and worship, but she also couldn't attend church with her friends and family, which was a, a cultural thing, which means that she was almost completely rejected from everyone. And, and to make matters worse, everyone in her entire culture would know that she had this problem. And to make it a step farther worse, she was also labeled as unclean. Can you imagine if you were a person trying to live your life and you had this problem and you couldn't find any answers and society says you're unclean, which means that people around her also could not touch her, they could not affiliate with her, or else they would also be labeled unclean. So not only are you unclean, but if you touch someone, they are then attached to your condition. This would have kept her from not only worship, not only interactions with her family. um, It would have prevented her from having a husband. It would have prevented her from having children. I mean, this lady had been going through it. Some of the most difficult times that I can think of right? She, she had some serious problems, and, and, and society didn't make it any easier. And, and I think in our perspective, with our, our culture, if you can imagine whenever COVID came around for the very first time, and no one knew what was going on, and everybody was running around scared, and the very first person that got COVID basically was, you know, locked away in a secret prison, you know, and, and until they could be made well, but their quarantine time was two, just two weeks, Can you imagine if you got locked in that secret COVID prison, but it was for 12 years that you couldn't affiliate with anybody? I'm getting a little little feedback. I don't know if you can turn me down just a little. And 
another thing that uh, was a problem is, is what she did to be made well was actually against culture as well. Because her touching Jesus and running through the crowd would have made him unclean. Made the person that a lot of people called rabbi unclean. And it was a giant, a giant issue. And, and I think that that's why it says in the passage of scripture that, that she was so frightened. Because of what she had done, she would have some serious repercussions for doing that. But instead of Jesus, you know, basically calling her out on it and getting mad and calling the religious leaders and, and, and making all these crazy things happen to this lady, instead he says, daughter, or let's see, let's read the exact text. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And some scholars even go on to say that the reason, and if you look at this passage of scripture in your, in your Bible in the text, this story is actually lumped together with the other story of Jesus raising that synagogue leader's daughter from the dead. And almost in no other place in scripture is two really separate events recorded as one. And I got to thinking, well, why is this the case? And there was several scholars who actually believe that the reason that this woman's story was um, linked together with the girl who was raised from the dead, the girl who was raised from the dead was 12 years old. And this lady had had her condition for 12 years. And it was supposed to be a representation also that Jesus was going to do something really big for the 12 tribes of Israel. That not only were they going to be healed but he was also going to raise them from the dead. Isn't that crazy? But I started thinking about, about, this, about this story, and honestly, the Lord has been burning this story of this woman on my heart for, for months. And I couldn't figure out what it was, like the reason for this, and, and uh, I finally figured it out. And, and the truth is, is that um, Taylor and I have been going through a really hard time for the last couple of years. People have asked us numerous amounts of times of, of when we were going to start having kids. And, and uh, truth be told is we'd been trying for a couple of years and, and just hadn't had any luck. And, you know, I, we start, you know, kind of dealing with some of these things. And, and just to make a, to kind of give you the story, I, a couple months, like, after, you know, we decided that we were going to start having kids, or I guess several months after, I remember I was standing in the back of this sanctuary, and, and for some reason, Taylor started crying. And I was like, you know, I don't really know what's going on. So, of course, I'd, I tried to comfort her and uh, figure out, you know, what was going on. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget this. She looked straight at me, and she said, do you realize that we're only a couple months away from being put in the infertility category. And that was really the first time that I started to realize that, man, there, there may be a problem here. And uh, that kind of was a, one of those moments in life that kind of take you back. And 
So, of course, you know, we started trying to figure out what was going on, and, and uh, Taylor spoke to her, uh, to her doctor, and she suggested that we do something that's called an AH, a, or HSG. And I'm not very good at these medical terms. I deeply apologize. Um, she suggested that we do this, and basically it's the process of, of clearing out the path to the uterus to make sure that there's no, there's no blockages or anything that's preventing you from having kids. And, and a lot of people, after they do this procedure, um, they get pregnant right after. And so we went ahead and went through with it, and we were hoping that, you know, hey, maybe this was our problem and, and problem solved, and, and things would, would kind of go back to normal. And uh, I vividly remember it being a Sunday morning whenever we found out that this procedure didn't work. And, of course, Taylor was upset. I was upset. And I remember standing in worship with my hands raised, and I remember telling God, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know anything about this stuff. I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I remember him speaking to me in a way that he only has a couple times in my life. And every time that he spoke to me this way, he came through in a really, really big way. And, and it was like, it was almost as if he, he like grabbed me by the shoulders and looked me straight in the eye and said, you know, the, the words that he told me. And, and basically what he said was, I will show you my faithfulness. And the tears start rolling. And so I start asking God, what, what does that even mean? You know, does that mean that, that you're going to provide a way for Taylor and I to have a kid? Does that mean that you're going to provide a way for us to adopt a kid? You know, what, what does that mean? What do we do? And I start asking all these questions. And, and I hate to give Pastor Kent credit this morning. Um, but... What the Lord told me was, he said, do you remember what Pastor Kent said at your wedding? And it was almost as if he took me back and I was standing on stage up here with, with my beautiful smoking hot bride. And, and uh, I remember listening to Pastor Kent talk about how cool it was that whenever we establish a covenant with God, he blesses it to the thousandth generation. And whenever he... Whenever I replayed that in my mind, he said, I can't bless you to the thousandth generation if it ends with the first. I got this. And uh, so I just said, okay, God, you know, whatever that means. And so we, we start seeking out um, more help. People like Lori who helped us, man. I, Lori, you're, you're amazing. But um, we also found out about a fertility clinic in, um, in Tulsa. And of course, everything in infertility is expensive, if you don't know that. Everything is very, very expensive. And, and this clinic that we went to um, was in Tulsa, so we had to drive two hours and 15 minutes to every single appointment there and back. And, and every appointment is hundreds of dollars and, and uh, you know, of course, procedures and tests and all that stuff are on top of that. And I can vividly remember even us having a 15-minute phone call with our doctor. And uh, after we had our 15-minute phone call, uh, we got a bill for $215, I think it was. And uh, so it's not easy to seek out these kind of answers. But basically what we came to the conclusion was is that our first step 
needed to be that we do something that's called an IUI. And, and an IUI, you know, costs anywhere from $1,500 to $2,000. And, but it eliminates a lot of the guesswork in the process, basically. And uh, we had hoped that this would, you know, solve our problems. And we went through with the procedure with, of course, really great anticipation of what was to come. And at the same time, the Lord put a scripture on my heart. And it was Psalms 118.24. And the scripture says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I just want you to know that this scripture is really easy to say when life's going good. It's a lot harder to say whenever it's not. And unfortunately for us, things weren't going so well. And it ends up being another Sunday morning that, uh, that we find out that the IUI that we did didn't work. So all the miles, all the hours, all the money, just, just gone. And of course, we were absolutely crushed. But even in that day, I remember saying, and the words leave in my mouth, that this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and I'll be glad in it anyway. And Joel, I don't know if you remember this or not, but almost every Sunday for like three months, you started service by saying, this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And a lot of those mornings that we found out that it wasn't working out, Joel starts off service by saying that. And I just remember thinking, okay, God really is doing something here. He's using that as some kind of affirmation for me. And I know that he's got this. And, and of course, whenever, whenever the first IUI didn't work, it was the next week that all the diagnoses start coming down, right? Um, people start, or our doctors start telling us, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And, and it just starts to get really overwhelming because, you know, you already had a million concerns, and now you have a million more, and uh, you don't really know what to do. And I vividly remember going outside to, to mow my yard and kind of having to have a pep talk with myself. And I actually remembered something that my mother used to tell me, and it was that it, she always said it in more of a, I'm not going to say, for lack of better words, a derogatory way towards me. But I, because she had always said, well, if there was anything you ever wanted, you figured out how to do it anyway. And I remember thinking about that and saying to myself, well, if there isn't anything that you've ever wanted that you didn't figure out how to get, this isn't the time to roll over and quit. And so we start kind of going through some of these things. And the problem with, with infertility is that they make you feel like the clock is ticking against you. That every month, month after month, your statistical chance just goes down and down and down. So it's not even that you didn't have a kid that month, but it's that the, the probability of you having a kid just goes down and down and down and down. But I remember saying to myself and remembering that the Lord told me that he was going to show me his faithfulness, which meant instead of it being the statistical chances dropping every single month, that meant that every single month that went by, I was one step, one month closer to having the thing that we were after. And I vividly remember talking to Taylor about that so many times of us saying, no, 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 we know what they're saying. But I know that my God in heaven hears me 
whenever I pray and that he meets me in the places that I don't know how I even got there. And I know that my father is going to see me through the situation. So that means that I'm one step, that I know more today than I've ever known and that I'm one step closer to having the thing that I want. And our numbers started to look a lot better. And so the doctor suggested that that we were going to do uh, a second IUI. And this one's kind of tough because I remember the week that we were supposed to do our second IUI. And I was sitting in the parking lot of the church and realizing that I had gotten behind on, on uh, my tithe check. And I remember sitting in the parking lot of the church writing out my tithe check realizing that the, that the money that we were about to pay would have paid for a lot of our IUI. And of course, whenever you're thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in, every single dollar counts. And I remember telling God, God, I know that you're the God who heals, that you're the one who sees us through. It's not the doctors, it's not anyone else, but you're the God who has the power to make this happen. And, and I want you to have this as my token of faithfulness that I know that it's you who does this and not them. And, and I just remember telling him that I just believed that he was gonna be the one to do it. And hang on one second, my page got mixed up here. And everything went well with the second IUI that, that we could tell anyway. But the thing was is that if this IUI didn't work, um, really our only option from that point was going to be to do IVF. And for those who don't know um, the process for IVF, it's, it's tough. And at the clinic that we were at, IVF is about $13,000. And it gives you about a 50% chance um, of having a baby, basically. So you have a $13,000 shot, a 50-50 coin flip. And, and honestly, at one point, they told us that IVF was gonna be our only option. Um, but luckily, they let us do a second IUI. And so anyways, we're, we're staring down all of this stuff. And I can remember that Taylor bought this... Um, this like armband thing that basically monitors your, um, your body temperature whenever it's resting. And I guess whenever a woman ovulates, your body temperature spikes, and then if the pregnancy was to take, uh, your body temperature actually remains high throughout the duration of the pregnancy. And I can remember it vividly being a Sunday morning whenever I woke up, it was super early, and I looked over, And Taylor was checking this graph. And had absolutely fallen off the chart. Which basically meant that, that it didn't work. And uh, so we were, of course, pretty devastated about that. And, and I didn't know what to think, what to do what to say, and uh, 
I actually remember going into my living room before Sunday school that morning. And luckily for me, I, I've spent the last year or two with a really great group of guys who, who taught me to think a little bit different about life. And, and they had always said, it's not, oh, I can't afford this, but it's how can I afford this and how can I make this happen for my family? And so I start thinking about all these things and, and how I was going to make it happen. And, and uh, Taylor and I agreed that we were going to schedule IVF for July. And uh, I have this, this whiteboard in my office. It's, it's great big. And, and I write down all my goals for the year on it. And I look at it every single day. And I remember, I remember writing on the board, July 1st, IVF, $13,000. Just so that I saw it every day. And every day that I was going to work, I was thinking about the day that I was going to have to write that check. And of course, you know, the doctors agreed or whatever, and we told them what had happened, and they scheduled the, the consults and all that stuff. And, but in the meantime, Taylor had to get regular blood work done, and, and um, she had her progesterone level checked. And all of her, one morning, all of her test results came back really good, uh, better than they had ever been. And actually, her uh, progesterone level had increased, and for those that don't know, that's the only reason that can happen is pregnancy. And so Taylor runs into the bathroom and takes a pregnancy test. And I can remember she set it on the counter and both of us were sitting there um, watching this test load. And it just says loading, 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 loading. <laughs> Pregnant. And of course, we cried and cried and cried, and, and uh, I can remember very vividly hugging Taylor, and the words left her mouth, thank you, Jesus. And then it dawned on me that this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it, and it had a whole new meaning. And I remember, I remember the Lord actually told me to go back and to read the whole chapter. And uh, if you want to pull that up, Sandy, I had only read or been focusing on the one scripture. This is the day the Lord has made. But this is what the whole chapter says. And it said, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all of Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let, the, let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. And in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. Who can mere people, or what can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph for those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surround me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surround me and attack me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. 
They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly, and the right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph, and the strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell of what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. The gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. And I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. We serve a God that's still doing miracles. We serve a God who is bigger than anything that we're going through. And a few months previous, I can remember being in this sanctuary and I was praying to God and, and I was telling him that Jesus, I have zero doubt that one day whenever I die, I know for a fact that you are going to meet me in this place, that you have already paid the price on the cross for my sin, and Lord, that you are going to take me into heaven to be with you, and I have zero doubt about that. Zero doubt. But Jesus, I don't just need you then, I need you now. I need you to come do a miracle in my life. I need you every day. And I can remember... I remember telling him, Lord, I, I just, I give it all to you. I'll give it all. If I'm not supposed to have it, Lord, then I don't want it. If you want me to sell it all, I'll sell it all. I'll give it all to you. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why we're going through this. But God, I know that you are bigger than it. And that you'll meet me in this place. And in response to that, the Lord showed me this scripture about this woman that we read. And I remember just thinking, God, what does this have to do with anything? What does this have to do with anything? And it wasn't until, I would say, the last couple of weeks that I could almost see myself standing in this crowd of people with Jesus walking to wherever it was he was going. And, and, and I can just see myself going through this crowd and thinking, if I could just touch his robe, that I would be healed, that I would be made whole. And then I read verse 34, and it says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace your suffering is over. And we have a God that's capable of meeting every single need in this church, that every single one of you, did you hear that? That you have a Father in heaven who's more than capable of meeting every single need that you will ever have. Is that not awesome? That no matter what life throws, 
that your Father in heaven hears you and he sees you and he already paid the price for you on the cross. And I've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle in my life. And I couldn't help but think about all of the people who came around me and Taylor and stood with us. Man, we couldn't have done it without you guys. And there were so many people that came and and shared some of their life's most challenging times. Some of the hardest moments. So many people came and shared their infertility journey with us. Some people just came and talked about how hard life has been and what God has done. And I'm convinced of one thing and one thing only, and it's that we serve a Jesus and a God that there's no sickness, no disease, no diagnosis, no depression, no anxiety, no person, nor circumstance that can keep you away from the love of your Father. That through the church, He shows His love to people. Through you, He shows His love to people. And the truth is, is that not everyone shares the same story that Taylor and I have. There's some people that have had it way worse, that have had it way harder, not just in infertility, but in life. And I'm convinced that there's some people, maybe even in this church, that are going some, through some of their life's most difficult moments. They're going through some really hard times. And if that's you, I want you to know that I want to be here for you because so many people have done the same for me. And I think about this woman and I think about her representation of what she did. And really, I think there's three things that, that we can learn from her and, and they seem simple, but it's so true. And number one is, is that you have to have the humility to ask for help. And that's a hard first step. And you have to have the faith to believe that Jesus is bigger than your problems. And the third thing is that you have to trust that he's going to see you through. And all you have to do, as simple as it sounds, is to go through all the noise, all the people, all the distractions all the things that are trying to keep you away and cut through the crowd and just grab his robe. But you have to get down on your knees and ask for help. He already knows you're struggling. You can't hide it from him. You have to give it all. And I'm going to ask the, uh, if the praise team would go ahead and come up. You want to know something funny? I've actually thought about many times which character I'm most like in the Bible. Everyone else ever done that? Yeah? Okay, good. And I, I, just, I just think about, you know, well, am I like Peter to stand up in front of the crowds and proclaim the gospel? Am I like David to, have a, to be a man after God's own heart? You know, am I, am I like Paul who's willing to pay it all? To further the name of Jesus. And yet this is the scripture that Jesus shows me. And I think 
what it, what it shows us is that, man, without Jesus, we're nothing. We're all broken people, hurting people, just trying to get to the love of our Father. And some people spend their entire life looking for some kind of fulfillment and some kind of love. And I can promise you this morning that what you're looking for is Jesus. You need the heart of your father. And we serve a really big God who's more than capable of meeting every need in this church. And I know that every person in here has a different story and different challenges, but despite all of those, this is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it anyway. And Psalm 84, 11 says that, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory and he and no good thing he will withhold from those who walk upright. No good thing will he withhold from you. And the best part is, is that he didn't just come to heal us physically, but he came to make us completely whole. And if everyone would, would please stand and as the, as the praise team starts to play, the first thing is, is that I hope that Taylor and I's story encouraged you and I'm, I'm sorry that I cried so much. But I think that this morning that there's probably some people in here that are going through a pretty tough time, an uncertain time. And you need a special touch of Jesus. And I just ask that you come and meet me at the front. And I want to pray for you. I don't, I don't need to know what you're going through. I just want you to know that I'm here. And I believe that if you come and if you give it all to Jesus, that we have a Father in heaven who hears us. And he's willing to meet every need. And he will withhold no good thing from you. So if that's you, I ask you that you come meet me here. And, and really, there may be some people in here this morning that maybe you're not looking for healing. But maybe there's something that you want or something that God has shown you and you're in a waiting period for that. And there's no way around it. It's hard. And it hurts. And you're going to go through some stuff. But the truth is, is that you have to come and you have to come to the altar and you have to lay it before God and say, I'll give it all to you. I'll put it all on the cross. I'll crucify it right here. I don't want any of it if it's not from you. But Lord, show me the way. Show me how to get there. But I'll give it all to you anyway. And if you don't want me to have it, Lord, tell me and show me which way to go. So if that's you this morning, I ask that you come and you have to do it and you have to do it now. And you have to give it all to Jesus. But if you need a special touch, I ask that you come up to me and, and I'll be happy to pray for you. But praise team.